Another edition of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, episode 74, with the ever-famous Ted Klopp and yours truly, Ken Dwarsnick. Ted, I haven't talked to you in two weeks. <laughs> to be honest with you, it was a pleasure not talking to you for two weeks. I'm not going to lie. So. <laughs> Here we go. Fanning the flames of they don't get along. We love controversy. That's right. So well, episode 74 is Paul Farron. Paul Farron. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's a blast from the past. Yep. He was a good offensive lineman. Real good player. Yep. Real good player. Well, Ted, we got, you know, obviously two weeks that we've had the opportunity to think about this show and a lot of things have gone on. Obviously the last game for the Cleveland Indians, now the guardians, the Browns have played a couple games. I forget that the Cavs are going to be starting here soon. I think a lot of people forget about that. The who? But uh, we're not going to talk about any of that type of stuff. Um, coming up, we have Sweetest Day this weekend. I know that's a big holiday for your household. Oh, yeah. Quick tidbit for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know Sweetest Day was actually started in Cleveland, Ohio? Did you know this? Uh, was it started by Mally's for, uh, for candy sales? It was at Mally's and then some of the different card shops in, in the 1920s. And then it kind of expanded throughout the country. So wow. a little tidbit today. Where did Sweetest Day start? Right here in the CLE. Okay. I know you'd enjoy them. I, I had no idea. So what will you do for uh, Eowyn for Sweetest Day? I won't do anything. <laughs> frankly. Absolutely nothing. I was thinking about getting that box of nothing that I got you for uh, yes. Christmas. Yes. Actually, she'll be on location, as they say, in the fine state of Tejas. So visiting some families. So we will not be spending Sweetest Day together. And frankly, she does not recognize that holiday. So I'm off the hook. How about you? Anything Uh, fun? Flowers, candies, ice cream? What do you got? I got uh, I love you. That's it. That's what I got. There you go. Words mean more than than gifts. As you know, that's right. Well, you mentioned Sweetest Day coming up. Halloween is also coming up. So I yes, thought it, it might be fun. A lot of people are probably familiar with the Huffington Post. It's a popular uh, newspaper. And they published their uh, weirdest Halloween, 2021 weirdest Halloween costumes. I just thought I'd uh, run through a few of these and see what we think. Okay. So we have uh, Rubber Chicken. Go as a rubber chicken. Infant Hulk Hogan. The guy never oh. goes away. Infant Hulk Hogan. That is pretty funny. Yep. Flaming Hot Cheetos. Got that. For your guinea pig, you have the guinea pig taco. The guinea pig? I didn't know they had costumes for guinea pigs. Wow. That's well, new. They do. How about a popcorn box? Go as a popcorn box. Ooh. Have somebody else go with butter, I guess. Yeah. How about a cockroach? You could go as a cockroach. That's a popular one. Interesting. Uh, I don't know what that is. Merman. Uh, I have no idea what that is. No, I'm not. I'm not sure what that is. Bearded dragon cowboy. This is for the, uh, the lizard. You put a hat on the lizard and there you go. Oh, here. people obviously they since people can't see the pictures, yeah. this conversation seems odd. Well, so. we'll, we'll we'll post some of these on uh, on uh, Twitter. But there's butter; you can go as butter. The Mona Lisa apparently is a popular one this year, as is an avocado, broccoli. Wow. So I guess food is a big big this year. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Oompa Loompa. He goes in Oompa Loompa. I think that's what you should go as this year. That seems fitting for me. Yeah. I feel like I look like an Oompa Loompa. Oompa Loompa. So I think that's a good place to stop. The Oompa Loompa. So just a few suggestions for you to wear uh, costumes. If you haven't come up with a costume yet, have you come up with a costume yet? I'm already wearing my costume. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. As am I. Well, let's move along. Uh, coming up on uh, this week's show. Where'd that come from? We're going to talk about the phrase hands down. We have some good news about the bus driver shortage here in Ohio. We'll explain. We're going to take a trip down memory lane with this week in Cleveland sports, this week in Cleveland history as well. We got another law that is uh, kind of odd. And many of these segments, I have to tell you, many of these segments are Halloween themed, oh, as sweet. is our guest this week, as we will talk with Medium Mari. Medium Mari is our guest. And I'm told she's going to do a reading. Uh, she says she can communicate with deceased people and deceased animals. So can you supply Medium Mari with a photograph of uh, your deceased pet, deceased dog, Duffy? Yes. Now, going into this uh, interview, she says she's going to uh, try to commune with Duffy. What is your... What's your expectation? Do you are you buying that you're going to have some interaction with Duffy? What are you thinking here? I'm sitting here right now and I have no idea. I just I think this is very intriguing. I'm, I'm going to come in with an open mind. OK, but I I have no idea. I don't know if I'll be talking to Duffy today or not. So that should be okay. interesting. All right. Well, we've got that. We also have a dad joke. It, too, is Halloween themed. So all that and a lot more coming up. Time for where that come from. Today's phrase, hands down. Mm. Dad, I know you're very familiar with that. The <laughs> meaning of this is easily and decisively without question. The origin of this, hands down is an idiom born from the world of horse racing. Oh, I didn't know this. Right. Think about it. You are so far ahead of chasing the pack that you as the jockey can sit back, relax, and still win a race, even with your hands off the reins. Hands on, hands off, <laughs> hands down. Well, here's the one thing you should know about this idiom. You can only use it every 19 minutes. <laughs> yep. Outstanding. Well, Ted, that's where that came from. All right, another This Week in Cleveland History, September 28th, 1969. This is a date that I think many people are going to remember. Euclid Beach Park closes its doors forever, incorporated back in 1894. All that remains of the park today is the carved archway entrance, a historic Cleveland landmark. We bring in our Cleveland historian, John Grabowski. And John, anytime I hear Euclid Beach Park, and you talk to somebody at the time, whoever went to the park, knew about the park, they always have a story about it. What can you tell us about Euclid Beach Park? Oh, Euclid Beach Park's really, really interesting. And there's an employee at the Historical Society, John Fredo, who knows it far better than I do. But, yeah, the park was started in 1894. It went to a different management in 1897. And it was like it was modeled after Coney Island. It had a beachfront, if you will. 
and 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 it was a boozy place. It was a place where you could get beer. It was a place where it had uh, freak shows and other kinds of entertainment. It was a little bit off colored. And in 1901, uh, Dudley Humphrey and his family bought the park, and they decided that they were going to clean up the act. Uh, so they got rid of the beer, uh, they got rid of the freak shows, and they got rid of, of a gate admission. That was what was important to get to the park. Um, you could go to the park without buying a ticket to get in. If you wanted to ride, then you bought the ride tickets. And the park was a place where you could take the family. You felt secure. You felt the kids were going to have a good time there. And it really built a reputation for that. Uh, it's an amazing part of the city's history. I mean, the beach is still there. there there's a walk out into to the lake. Uh, and a lot of this was about beach. There was another, there was another park just, uh, uh, just to the west uh, in what is now Bratmel called White City Park that was on the beach. So we could do a whole amusement park there. But you have to imagine that in the 1890s when, when streetcars came in, people who worked in urban businesses and so forth could go to a park within the city. And that's where these parks grew up. Uh, uh, it was, was noted for a number of rides, uh, the, the racing derby. Uh, the 1910 carousel of Euclid Beach is at the Western Reserve Historical Society, and you can ride that. The horses are original to the carousel, I think with the exception of four. And there are a lot of grandparents that come there with their grandchildren to get them into that. Um, I, I, we were talking about rock and roll in a session earlier. I have to say that the, the Beach Boys wrote a, a song called Amusement Parks USA. And one of the lines is, on the flying turns at Euclid Beach, I bet you can't keep her smiling. Wow. So the Beach Boys were there, but politically, it's where the Democratic Party held its annual steer roast. Hmm. Oh, That's okay. where JFK was introduced to the Cleveland population at a steer roast at uh, at Euclid Beach, uh, thanks to Ray T. Uh, Ray T. Miller, the head of the Democratic Party, former mayor. Uh, my memories of Euclid Beach are going there with a company picnic. Uh -huh. and, and that was, you know, and the company picnics were good because you get a whole roll of tickets and you could ride forever. Uh, but even when I went there, there were memories of an older Euclid Beach. There, there was a penny arcade and one of the, the arcade events was uh, a World War II thing called Tail Gunner which you sat basically reading a tail of a B-17 and you could shoot BBs at something. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> and if you went on the uh, shoot over the falls, you, you could, you could uh, see carvings, uh, initials in the walls that dated back to the 40s. I've always been a historian. But you know, the thing with Euclid Beach now, you not only encounter it at, at the Historical Society in the carousel with those rocket ship cars, have been motorized and they run all over the city. And newcomers to Cleveland have to wonder what in heaven's name is going on. And, and that's going to be around for a while. Many of the other parts of the displays, Laughing Sal, who was in front of the Funhouse, is around and makes her, she comes to Euclid Beach festivals all the time. We host, host one at the Historical Society every year and it always draws a crowd. Hmm. The, the taffy and the popcorn balls are still available. So those things live on. Wow. Yeah. What about, uh, can you draw any comparison, folks who are younger, my age, Ken's age, we are familiar with Cedar Point, Geauga Lake. Was Euclid Beach in its heyday on a par with those, bigger than those? Oh, oh yeah, it was, it was, it was bigger. Cedar Point, of course, was a far way away from mm -hmm. Cleveland. And Geauga Lake, you could go out there on an Erie Railroad train if you wanted to. 
but they were smaller parks. And given Cleveland's population of over 900,000 in 1950, much of it crowded in the city, this, this was a Coney Island type of experience. It began to fade in the 1960s with automobiles and people could drive out to Cedar Point. The rides were newer and higher. And the other issue is, is the issue of race in Cleveland. And there's a very noted event in Euclid Beach. The, the, uh, the dance hall and I believe the beach and the roller rink were, were segregated. That, that is, you could not have mixed couples on them. Mm. So they were banned. And in 1946, I believe, there was something called the Euclid Beach Riot in which uh, some people were protesting. And uh, there was a little fracas that broke out between an African-American policeman and the guards at Euclid Beach. And that resulted in an equal accommodations law in Cleveland, which, which basically said, you know, this has to be open to everybody in order to be open. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's that side of Euclid Beach that is there, yeah. That's crazy. Well, John, my last question, obviously, you know, I, I've heard many different stories, but at the, at the end, what really kind of closed Euclid Beach down? What was, what was the reasoning behind it? Well, I would say part of it was, was racial as the neighborhood changed, but the other part was bigger, better attractions out at Cedar Point. Sure. And you have to remember what kids were watching in the 1950s, 1960s, Disney. And, the, you know, the great dream for most kids was to go out to Disney World, which was a mega theme park at that time, or Disneyland, I'm sorry, in Anaheim. And so that's what young people were seeing on TV. And that's not exactly what Euclid Beach was delivering. And, and so the more resorty park, and that's what uh, Cedar Point was to begin with, um, uh, was, was going to attract them. And so that's there. And, you know, and dad in the car. If we look at Cleveland and major many other cities, the, we have been internally combusted to death, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as the suburbs grow, the inner city withers, uh, and and we have memories left. Uh, you know, the memories of Euclid Beach are very, very good for many, many people, and and its role in improving racial accommodation is also very important as well. John, great information as we uh, look back to the closing of Euclid Beach Park, which is obviously a great memory and remember a wonderful place from September 28th, 1969. John, thank you so much for your information and your time. We really appreciate it. Super, Ken. My pleasure. Ken, time for some good news. A Columbus dad decided to help get kids to school in a unique way. Because of the school bus driver shortage, Sean Rogers Jr. said his children missed school when their bus never showed up. Hmm. He posted on Facebook to see if any other local parents needed their kids driven to school. He then turned to his dad's limo service and borrowed a limousine. He transported 25 kids to school one day, 42 of them the next. Wow. That's impressive. Getting it done. Taking matters into your own hands. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> there was a story, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. What if there was a special poll in that limit? No, I hope not. Okay. I hope not. Yeah, I don't know. Just joking. I'm not, I'm not familiar with a limousine that'll fit 42 kids, though. That is large. I'm gonna, that's got to be some kind of bus or extremely yeah. stretched limo, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, nonetheless, that is some good news. 
Our guest today is a medium, as in someone who apparently can make contact with the other side. We thought it would be fun to have her on during the month of Halloween. And so Mari Cartagenova is here. So let's talk with Medium Mari. Medium Mari, thank you very much for your time. My first question here, we hear about mediums, we hear about fortune tellers, card readers, um, psychics. Where does a, what is a medium and how does, how does what you do differ from all the other things that I mentioned? What are the differences? Because uh, I know some people think they're all the same and I'm thinking that's not the case. No, it's it's definitely not the case. And I want to say thank you, Ted and Ken, for having me on. I appreciate it. And um, I mean, basically, I'm a medium and psychic and animal communicator, all rolled into one. <laughs> um, and so and I also read tarot cards as well. Um, but there is differences. Psychic, when you're making a psychic or intuitive connection, that's really more about uh, connecting with the person's energy. Like if I was going to do a reading on you, I'd connect with your energy and it would be more questions about, you know, your job or your life or your relationships, <clears throat> excuse me, those type of things. So that's more of a psychic or intuitive reading. When you do a mediumship reading, you are connecting with spirit, whether they be animal or people on the other side. And you're sort of raising your vibration, as it were, and connecting to sort of a higher level and, and you know, connecting with those souls. Um, and then tarot cards or those types of things. I mean, I don't consider myself a fortune teller. That's really more like for entertainment purposes, if you're going to the county fair. Um, but using tarot cards or uh, there's psychometry where you hold like someone's ring in your hand, that's really more about connecting with the energy. And those are tools in order to connect to the energy to get a more uh, like a, a day of reading, like, you know, what's happening in your life type of reading. So hopefully sure. that makes sense. No, it certainly does. My first question before we go into a lot, how did you get into something like this? Well, I know your readers can't see me, but you guys can see me. I'm like a normal person. I'm a soccer mom. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not like, you know, crazy earrings. I don't have things floating around my head or unicorns or anything. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I knew I always sort of had this connection, even as a small child, I would see spirits, I would talk to angels and talk to them. But as a little kid, you, you know, you don't know any better. You think, oh, okay, this is just how it is for everybody. Um, and then when I got to be older, I realized that that is not the case. And, um, you know, some of the other kids kind of thought I was weird if I would be talking to the trees or the animals. So at that point, I realized hmm, maybe this isn't something you really talk about because it's not really accepted. And I just sort of kept it with me. And then as I got older, you know, I went to school, I have a master's degree in social work and I'm, a, you know, was working as a therapist for a long time. And it was sort of something that was just always with me. And then I just kept getting a lot of hints from the spirit world. You know, my grandmother died and my aunt died and they would come and talk to me and they were like, you're really supposed to be doing this. Um, and then I sat with another medium. I was having a reading for myself from the UK and they were like, you're supposed to be doing this work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. They said, no, this is the work you're supposed to be doing. And so just from there, there was, you know, a number of other things that happened, but I was like, all right, fine. And then I just, 
you know, when you're doing the right thing, all the doors kind of start to open and that's what happened. And so here I am. So, story. so this is uh, a business for you, if I'm not mistaken. Am I correct on that? Yeah, absolutely. This is what okay. I do full time. I mean, I like to say that I'm a mom first and medium second. So my kids always come first, as they will tell you. Um, but yeah, this, this is what I do full time. And it's great. It's really an honor and a privilege to be able to help people connect and provide them with some healing. So does, does when you do these uh, readings, these connections, um, do you find if you do a number of them in a day that you get worn out? Is it kind of like uh, mental? Is it taxing mentally on you? Do you do you get tired by the end of the day? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, because you're, you're getting into like this space of not trance exactly, but you're in sort of this elevated state. So you need to sort of raise your vibration. I know that sounds really woo woo, but, you know, sort of raise your energy to be able to connect with spirits or whatever. So it's definitely exhausting because you're connecting with the energy of other people and you're sort of like a therapist would in some sense is sort of taking that on like a sponge. And so you're feeling all their feelings and connecting and it's, it's definitely tiring. Um, so you have to pace yourself. And I think the more you do it, obviously the easier it is, but it's definitely self-care in my field is really, really important. So in 2019, you were part of a book that was called heaven sent. Um, it's basically true stories of pets that have touched our hearts in miraculous ways. Can you talk a little, a little bit about the book and what your contribution was? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's a really great book, I have to say, even though I'm just a part of it. Um, for any animal lovers out there, it's just little chapters of people talking about their animals and how they have touched them and sort of, uh, you know, you want to say mystical type of stories that happen connected with the animals. Um, in my particular case, I wrote about my beloved kitty, Mr. Fur, and his crossing. And, you know, and then I ended up subsequently seeing, you know, seeing him after walking around my house, which people are going to say, of course, you're a medium, you're going to see that. But there's a lot of cases that people who don't do this see their pets after, after they cross. Um, and it's just really touching. And I definitely, you know, I definitely recommend it. It's a great you know, Christmas gift or whatever. It's available on Amazon. It's available from my website. But it's just really about the power of animals and how their love helps to heal us. What's the strangest, I guess, experience might be the way to say it, the strangest experience that you've had when you've connected with a, a person or an animal? Well, there's so many. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this a long time. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of those. But the one that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is a story I've told before. Um, it's very interesting. There is, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. But I was seeing this person, this is prior to COVID. So I was seeing them in person. Um, and I was getting ready for my day because I have an office. And I was going in and it was just a weird thing. I have a very large window, like. 10 feet by 10 feet, a giant window in my house. And I was trying to get the shade changed. This is like, it sounds like a normal thing. And it's impossible because nobody works on windows this big. And it had been like months and months and months. And I finally, it was a miracle. I got somebody out to my house to take care of this window prior to going into work. And as the guy was taking down the window on top of the ledge, we're talking like, you know, 10 feet in the air are, are a pair of dice that are sitting on the ledge of the window that were hidden by the shade. 
And I'm like, that's kind of weird. But I mean, given the work that I do, I'm like, okay, well, this will probably be revealed at some point. It wasn't like people are throwing dice around in my house or, you know, and this is in my bedroom. So certainly it's, we're not using dice there. Um, and so I went into work and I had the session with this person and, uh, you know, and long story short, this person that I was connecting with their loved one was a serious gambler, a heavy gambler who hmm. used to play craps with the dice. And that's what ended up getting him killed because he owed a lot of money and whatever. And so as I was doing this reading, I was like, well, I know this sounds crazy because before I had left for the office, I took a picture of the dice that were sitting on this tiny ledge, the ledge was like an inch wide sitting in my house. And I was like, well, I just, I think that these are for you, that the spirit sort of dropped those into place because why else would I find the dice on the windowsill for this window I've been trying to replace for six months, the same day that I'm seeing this person whose son, you know, was this heavy gambler and that's how he ended up crossing. So I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. So that is crazy. So yeah. one thing I read on your website as well, besides connecting with animals that have passed, you also connect with lost or missing pets. Can you talk a little I bit do. about that and some of the success rates you've had with that? Absolutely. I mean, it's not, you know, honestly, it's not something I do a lot of just because it's extremely taxing, as you can probably imagine. And if I did that all day long, and there's just a lot of sadness, of course, associated with that. Um, but I do, you know, and it wasn't even something I knew that I could do, but we had like a friend of ours and their dog was missing in Ireland and they came to us like, you have to help us, we have to find our dog. And so I just sort of connected to the animal and it was almost like I was the GoPro on the animal's head and he would show me I had been here, I had been there. And we ended up sort of tracking him all over this, you know, and I've never even been to Ireland, so I don't know anything about it. Um, this whole mountainous region. And he kept talking to me about um, the number six. And then the woman who had lost him, she said, yeah, we're hiking. And there, you know, we kind of lost him by cabin number six. And I was like, yeah, it just feels like more than that. Um, and then he also had showed me like this little red, looks like a, a scarf or a piece of cloth or something. And I'm like, you know, cause they're telling me stuff. It's not my story. So I don't know what it is. And I asked the mom, the dog mom, and she said, yeah, well, this is like a, like a, a uh, where they cut trees down and they, when they're done cutting down the trees, they close the gate and they tie this little red string on the gate to let everybody know that all the, the workers are out of that area. And so uh, long story short, this dog ended up being found on the sixth day at six o'clock by this gate with the little red string tied to it. Mm. And it was just like, Wow. Well, that's pretty crazy. So I don't know how it works. You know, people, I'm, you know, I feel like spirit is giving me information, but do I have any proof? No, but I get this information and through that I'm able to help find animals. And mm -hmm. certainly sometimes I find animals bodies, you know, that haven't mm -hmm. survived. And then sometimes, you know, like I'll say, I'll give them an area like, Oh, you know, whatever, check in this area. And if the person doesn't go search, clearly the animal moves. But I have had a pretty good success rate with finding animals in general. So it's really cool. So I know yeah. you uh, said you'd be willing to do a uh, connection for Ken's dog, Duffy here. So I'm going to uh, step out and let you uh, do whatever you have to do for that. But I do have one question before you do that. And that is sure. when we were uh, communicating you said, send me a picture. And I sent you a picture and said, no, no, I need a picture of the face. I need to see the eyes. Tell yes. me, tell me, tell me about why do you need to see the eyes? What, 
what's going on there? I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I don't really know. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about seeing their eyes. It's like, you know, it sounds super cheesy, the connection to the soul, but there's an S, there's a, there's sort of a feeling of if I'm able to see their eyes, I'm sort of able to connect with them in an easier manner. And, you know, I work off of pictures for animals because, and certainly I've connected with animals in galleries without photos, but I use the photo because if someone says to me, oh, I want to connect with my, you know, I my animal Fluffy. Fluffy could be a poodle or it could be a boa constrictor. So then sometimes my brain, you know, my human brain gets involved and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. So it's just easier to work with a photo for the animals. But I feel it's the connection to the soul is why I like to see the eyes. So thank you for providing that. Yeah. All sure. right. Well, Absolutely. I'm going to step out. I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, stay quiet here and uh, let you, uh, do your, uh, do we call this a reading? What do we call this? Yeah, just a reading, okay. Okay. reading on an animal. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so, I, so I have your little dog, Duffy. Now Duffy is still living, correct, Ken? He is not. He is passed. Oh, okay. All right. Because I thought, he, I thought uh, Ted had said that he was still around. So, well, that, that's good to know. So, you know, I have him here and it's interesting because as I connect to them, I always try to pre-connect a little bit. I was getting a bunch of different things about him. Um, one of them, of course, you know, this sounds very typical, but I was getting really loyal and connected. I do feel like the two of you had a really good connection is what he's telling me, but I'm also getting like a little bit of anxiety with him because I'm getting a little bit of like <sighs> feeling in my chest, not all the time, but it's like, he was telling me like he gets would get excited or get nervous about strange things. Do you understand that? <laughs> I really do. Okay. Continue. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> it's just, because he was telling me like, and I couldn't see what he was doing, but like, he was like jumping around or flipping around or something weird would happen, either like the door would ring, but it wouldn't be like a normal, like I could see him being nervous about lightning or something like that. But he was telling me that strange things would make him worry. I don't know if he would hide under the bed or hide under the table, but he would try to find a way to sort of get away is what he's telling me. Um, and there's also a piece about, now, did he replace another dog or because he's talking about replace because the way that the animals talk to me is I either hear things or they'll drop words into me and I sort of see them energetically and he just gave me the word replace. So I don't know if there was another dog that he replaced or there was almost a person that he replaced. Do you understand that? Uh, to an extent. So originally, this was way back when there was another dog that was purchased at one point in time. It was a puppy and he was a rescue dog that I guess the okay. Boy Scouts found him in the woods. So. Yes, he was kind of a a second replacement dog for the original dog we have because just we couldn't take care of him. So. Okay, yeah. So that's yeah, that's what he's sort of talking to me about about being the replacement. But it's also funny because he's talking to me and he's saying, "But I was actually better than that other dog." <laughs> so yes, he, that is correct. It's funny that he, because he has almost a quirky sense of humor, because as I'm connecting to him, you know, I, I do this all day, and like all animals have different personalities, just like people, and there's just something kind of quirky about him, like there's, I don't want to say the basic kind of loyal and connected and all those type of things, but there's just like... Um, he would do weird things. Do you understand that? Like, there's just like a quirky, like, I don't know if he would chew strange things or because he's just sort of making me feel like, I don't want to say he was a little off, but just like, not like your regular dog. Do you understand that? I completely do. Yes. And I will back. I, this is very interesting. So there's two things when you said that I thought of 
the anxiety part, he hated fireworks. And anytime mm-hmm. the doorbell would ring, he would kind of freak out. Okay. Yeah. Number two, you talk about quirky things. I don't know if ever, anyone else has experienced this. We would leave him on his own. One time he basically on two legs peed all around the Christmas tree. So <laughs> those oh, very the things you just said, Duffy. yes, ex- ex- extremely. Yes. That is, that is very funny. When you, when you yeah. mentioned those things, those are the first thing, two things that popped up. That is, that is really interesting. Exactly. And that's how it works. And that's sort of what he was making me feel. And again, you know, and that's how I do this work is that, you know, they'll, they'll drop in little pictures or images or clips of movies. And he was just making me feel like, not in a bad way, but he was a little strange. You know, he, he his personality was quirky and a little and a little strange also. Um, and he's, he's also talking about his mom. So would that be your wife talking well, about the a, connection to her? It, it's actually my ex-wife, but yeah, they were okay. they were pretty close. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because yes. he was talking about mom, mom, and that there was, and I don't know if she would like like hide things or give him things behind your back, but there's some piece about like a secret little relationship that he had with mom that he's making me aware of that you wouldn't necessarily know about. You know, either things you wouldn't approve of him eating, but he's just talking to me about like almost going over to her and whispering her like, oh yeah, this is like our little special thing that we're doing. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but that's what he's talking to me about, that they would have that's, like their own thing. Yes. I, there were some things that were chewed and things like that, that I think at some point in time, I don't think I knew really wanted to know about. So yeah, that does make sense. Yes. Exactly. Like kind of keeping secrets in that way. But he's also was, you know, not that you want to hear this necessarily, but really grateful to her. Cause I also do feel <laughs> like that she took, I know, well, I don't want to get in the middle of that. No, but, this is really you know, good. No, this is good. Yeah, just that, that he was really grateful to her because I really feel like that he, that she took extra care with him is what he's telling me. And I don't know at some point if he was on medication because he's showing me like a syringe, whether he had to take some type of medication that he's making me aware of and that she was able to sort of make that better for him. Do you understand that? I do. Yes, that, okay. ha- that happened a couple different times. And then towards the end, he had he had cancer. So obviously yeah. that, was, that was involved as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sort of feeling like that. And he's also talking about that, like he's saying that like he held on as long as he could. It's interesting because I do feel like at some point it got kind of systemic with him. But as it was starting and it was it was small that you guys didn't know about that. And, you know, I don't know if there's any blame that you're holding on to. But he's saying like, like I tried to hang on there as long as possible. And that was really important for him. And so it's almost like that he masked a lot of the symptoms almost until it was too late. That's what he's making me feel like that it was small and then it got bigger and bigger. And then by that time he found that it was, it was too late for him. Yes. That all makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but there's also, you know, but there's also a lot of gratitude with him. He's showing me a yellow rose, um, which is my symbol for gratitude. And he just wants to thank you for, you know, for obviously, I know you told me that you rescued him. I was sort of feeling that anyway, but that, um, that, that he's really grateful that he ended up with you guys because he's like, he's saying, and I know it sounds cheesy, but like, he's like, I had the best life. Like I had the best life with you guys and that you were, he's also saying that you were supportive of who he was, even though he was a little different, let's say. Yes. <laughs> well, you say a little different. He was a cocker spaniel. Yeah. And he actually had his full tail, which you don't usually see. So mm-hmm. he was a little bit different because people would see him and say, well, what kind of dog is that? Well, it's a cocker spaniel, but you couldn't tell because most cocker spaniels, they have their tail done or cut or something like that. So he, had yeah, yeah, tail. exactly. Yeah. So he was different physically, but just even like in his personality, like that's yes. what's really coming through. He was just like a little different. 
you know? Yep. Um, and, and he is appreciative uh, and grateful that you were able to sort of meet him on his own terms is what he's telling me. Um, and then he also just flashed something into me about taking food off the table. Like there's something that trying to get food, like I'm feeling like he would have been very food motivated as well, but for human food, because he's telling me that he felt more like a person than like an animal. Yeah. That's for sure. I don't think he ever swallowed his, he just swallowed his food. He never chewed it. He was so excited to eat. We can yes. leave the, the food down. And then secondly, yes, there were multiple times where he would take food off the table. Yes. Yeah. And he just like, he just showed yep. me like a piece of toast or something. He'd just like yep. get up there and snag it. And obviously he wasn't that big a dog, but he would find a way. He's telling yes. me <laughs> that, yes. he, that he was very, that he was very motivated and that if he wanted to do something, he was going to do it. Like not in an in your face kind of a way, but in like a sneaky, like I'm going to get around this and I'm going to find a way to do this kind of way. Yep. 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 For sure. Yeah. He loved That's to definitely. sneak up. We had an issue with him peeing and stuff like that. So he would like try to, you know, at first he was a lot on the bed. And then later in life when he had issues, we didn't allow him on the bed, but in the morning, you look at the end of the bed and he would be there. It'd be pretty yeah. funny. So, yeah, yeah, like that's very interesting. Around. Yeah, yep. so, so I hope that was helpful. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to connect with him, and thank you for the photos. And um, yeah, he's he's a character. He's a real character. That was really that was very interesting. Thank you very much. That was that oh, was cool. My pleasure. There was a lot my of lot of lot of things there that was very interesting. Made me think about a lot of stuff. That was cool. Good. Thank you. Good. My uh, pleasure. Well, uh, Media Mari, if uh, some of our lift listeners want to. Uh, get a connection or reading something like that where can they find you well the best place to find me is my website which is mediumari.com so it's m-e-d-i-u-m-m-a-r-i.com and all my social media is the same i'm on instagram uh, you know facebook twitter youtube it's all mediumari so you can find me on all those channels and like and subscribe awesome <laughs> very cool ken you talked to Duffy today and I did. I didn't think How about that. That was something else. And a lot of the things you talked about made a lot of sense. And I do appreciate that. That was very cool. He's a great dog. He really was. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad I'm glad I was. Uh, hopefully I made a believer out of you and uh, that was helpful to you. And I'm glad I'm glad we're Certainly. able to do that. Thank you so much. Well, we Great. appreciate your time, uh, Media Mari, and uh, uh, best of luck uh, with your um uh, your continued mediumship, I guess. Yeah, okay. yeah mediumship, exactly. Yep, there you go. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much to both of you for having me on. Hear ye, hear ye. Time for another edition of Hear Ye, Hear Ye, where we look at a crazy law. It is actually illegal in Pennsylvania to engage in things like fortune telling, palm reading, a tarot card reading, and or astrology for monetary compensation. So Media Mari, no dice. No, she's out. He's out in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania for sure. Yeah. It is also illegal to charge someone money to cast either positive or negative spells or hexes. All of these forms of magic and superstition fall under the broad term fortune telling under Pennsylvania law. This is huh. really odd. Yeah. The crime of fortune, fortune telling is a third degree misdemeanor. What? Punishable by up to one year incarceration and $2,500 fine. Okay, long story short, 
in the fine town of Medina, and we've had this person on, Laura Cavey, she actually has a person that will read tarot cards in her store. You pay her some money, you can do that. Yeah. So this, this would be a legal action if we were in the state of Pennsylvania. That is really strange. Hold on. I'm getting a message here. Yep. I do not see this happening in Pennsylvania. Hear ye, hear ye. Most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Ken, I don't know if you've been keeping up on the news, but just in case you have not been, I have that that is most important. Squirrels, known to hide things in some interesting places. Well, a North Dakota man learned that firsthand. Bill Fisher came home from a four-day work trip to discover, get this, 42 gallons of lime-sized walnuts in his truck. 42 gallons of them. They were oh in the engine. God. They were all over the place. He says he had to take the fenders off the truck to get rid of all the nuts because of the squirrels. 42 gallons. And this was in four days? Yeah. Wow. That had to be a lot of squirrels. I mean, yep. they, they can only move so many nuts. That's what I've heard. Firefighters in California rushed to a beach after 911 callers stated there was a woman stranded on the side of a cliff. Firefighters began the rescue efforts before discovering the woman was actually a mannequin left behind from a movie shoot a few days earlier. Go save that woman. Yeah. <laughs> He's not moving. Oh. Yeah. Oh. All right, we got that. Two North Carolina sisters got a surprise, quite a surprise last month when they arrived at Hunter's Funeral Home for their mother's services. It's kind of sad, but yep. pay attention here now. The body in their mother's casket wasn't their mother. Oh, jeez. Janetta Archer says the body looked nothing like her mother, even though the body was wearing her mother's clothes. Archer says the body was much smaller than her mother. The clothes didn't come close to fitting. Mother's body was eventually found in the embalming room. Oh, man. That's that's not what you're looking for at all. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I'd be using their services anymore. They might be out. Yeah. A Turkish man had too much to drink and wandered away from friends into a forest. Now, that alone, obviously not terribly newsworthy, but here we go. The guy was reported missing, and a search operation was formed to try and find him. 50-year-old Bahan Matulu uh, apparently slept it off and joined the crowd of people in the forest. Yeah? He, he joined his own search party. <laughs> he didn't realize that they were looking for him, but he did figure it out when... People in the group started hollering his name. He said, I am here. <laughs> Eventually, police gave him a ride home. Yep. That might be the best one he had. <laughs> so he just joined his own search party. Yep. Oh. Yeah. And then, Things you do when you're drinking. 
Yes. Ooh. And then there's this one. Last week, the Powerball jackpot was about $700 million. So KSLA TV in Shreveport, Louisiana, sent reporter Corey Johnson out to do a live shot and ask Powerball players what they would spend uh, the money on if they won. And Ken, as you and I both know, nothing bad could ever possibly happen during a live shot with this question, right? Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Well, give a listen to this report. What are you going to do with that money if you win? Well, I'm definitely going to get a, a new supercharged Mustang with dual exhaust and about five kilos of cocaine, and I'll be good to go. Okay, so you like cars. You like yeah. cars. <laughs> oh, you like cars. Oh, you like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that, that pile of cocaine you want. Right, let's talk about the cars. Let's just go right to the car. <laughs> He can join a search party for the cocaine. Oh, oh, oh my wow. God. All right. Well, that's a good place to close up this week's collection of Klopp's clips. Cleveland, this is for you. Time for another This Week in Cleveland Sports, September 26th, 1976. Not necessarily a good one for Cleveland, but involving the Browns, Denver's Rick Upchurch. The Broncos just seem to do it to us every time. (laughs) Denver's Rick Upchurch returns not one, but two punts for touchdowns against the Browns. Painfully, I turn to our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan, for some perspective on this. Dusty, what do you got on this one? Well, like you said, it, it, it isn't just John Elway who did it to the Browns. It seems like every time the Broncos and the Browns play, it's a bad result. But Rick Upchurch, and I, and I know a lot about Rick Upchurch because he was a very good, more of a punt returner, kick returner than a receiver. But in the later years in his career, he contributed to the Broncos quite a bit, including their world or uh, Super Bowl loss in 77. But Rick Upchurch was born in Toledo. So I don't know if he grew up liking the Browns or, or obviously knew of them. But yes, in this particular game where the Broncos beat the Browns 44 to 13, the Broncos first score was an Upchurch 73 yard punt return for a touchdown. And then he decided to cap it off with a 47 yard punt return for a touchdown in the third quarter. So I'm looking at the punter that day for the, uh, Browns and end up being well it was Don Cockroft so obviously the uh the uh rules were not to kick away from him but it certainly should have been well Dusty one thing that people don't realize obviously they remember the 80s teams they remember the 90s teams of the Browns and I I will step back and this is almost a little bit before you're in my time I think Ted was pretty young in, in 76 what were the Browns like in like the 77 76, 79 years. What was their team? What were their teams like? And who were some of their better players? Well, this is where you kind of started to see the building right before Sam Ritigliano came in. Obviously, you look at this box score and Brian Seip didn't have a great day, but this was before the cardiac kids. This was right when Brian Seip was kind of working his way off the taxi squad, getting to the point where he was going to be a MVP type quarterback. Greg and Mike Pruitt were the running backs. So you had them starting down the path where they were two very productive players 
for the Browns. Uh, Paul Warfield, after he came back, was on that team. Originally, as everybody knows, Paul Warfield, the Hall of Famer, was a Brown and then got traded for the guy who ended up being, or the draft pick that ended up being Mike Phelps and that, or Mike Phipps. That did not turn out very well. But Reggie Rucker was on that team. Dick Ambrose was on that team. So you started to see those kind of halt. Doug Deacon was on that team. You were starting to see what was going to become those cardiac kids and years later after that. How many holding penalties that? No, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> by the well, way, the, little, the Browns did have 13 penalties that yeah, day. So. I wonder oh. how many of them were on number 73. But anyhow, uh, a little personal note on this. We talk about the Broncos having the Browns number. The first game that I ever saw at Brown Stadium, I don't think it was this game, but there was a game against the Broncos. And the play that sticks with me was, I believe it was Lyle Alzado playing for the Broncos, got a hold of Brian Sipe, was in the process of sacking him. Sipe fumbled the ball, and somebody from the Broncos picked it up and ran it in for a touchdown, like about oh, 50 yeah. yards. So the Broncos have never been uh, nice to the Browns, but that's, you know, that's another story for a different day. Nonetheless, uh, Rick Upchurch probably made a few people uh, <clears throat> up Chuck with his efforts on that particular day. Dusty, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! It's that time for the overachievers. Yeah. How much time have you spent growing vegetables? Not much. Okay, well, I think I found the people that you should follow. Okay. So the Cana UK National Giant Vegetable Championship, an annual competition for growers of giant vegetables, saw not one, not two, not three, but four. Yes, four Guinness World Records being broken. That's a heck four. of a name, by the way. The National Giant Vegetable Championship. Yeah, that's a lot of words. Yeah. Well, the new marks are for the heaviest eggplant the heaviest marrow, the heaviest broad bean pod, and the longest leak. You're familiar Excuse with that. Me. What? The longest leak? <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. This <laughs> <laughs> turned bad today. The world's heaviest eggplant mark is now 6 pounds, 14 ounces. The heaviest marrow was 256 pounds. Holy moly. 9.8 ounces. Beating the previous record of by 50 pounds. Okay. Pumping into these things. I don't know if I'd eat them, to be honest with you. The world's heaviest broad bean pod, also known as a fava bean pod, weighed in at 3.74 ounces. And the world's longest leak was officially measured at four feet, five and a half inches. I I figured we were going to say it was (laughs) measured at 16 minutes and 17 seconds. Half hour straight. <laughs> longest leak. Oh, that'd be the, oh, that'd be the that's that's the record I'm gonna go for. Longest leak. Longest leak. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's a lot of heavy vegetables. Congrats to all those winners, all those uh, Guinness World Records. Four in one day. Absolutely amazing. Not sure if I'd eat any of that vegetables, but we have some winners, and those are our overachievers.
It's Ed time for another edition of You Can Really Buy This. We've had some good ones recently. Uh, we found a romantic getaway for yourself and Erica. We talked about coyote urine. And most recently, a box of nothing. Yes. But today, I figured I'd want to get your entire family involved with this wonderful thing. It's time for you and the family to pack up your things. Okay. Get ready. Pack them up. It's time to relocate. You're going to move to somewhere else in the Cleveland area. Okay. I found you a house that will fit your family and what you're looking for. It's located at 11518 Harbor Drive in Cleveland. Okay. And it's situated right by Lake Erie. This 15,000 square foot house has seven bedrooms, 10 bathrooms. You can take over about three or four yourself. And it has 1.87 acres of a lot. Now, this home was built in the 1930s, and the seller has expanded and transformed the home into a showplace that offers every imaginable luxury and modern amenity you can ask for. Highlights of the home include breathtaking indoor pool complex. You like that? It is lined in imported glass. The pool itself is. And the atrium is framed in glass with stone floors. Hmm. There's a master wing, which I know you would enjoy, which has the most incredible views with walls of windows, offers a private veranda, and has a bathroom second to none. In addition, there is a second master suite, which I know would fit your needs, on the first floor and a total of seven bedrooms and eight full and two-half bathrooms. There's two full kitchens, just in case you don't want to eat with the family that day on your own, which uh, offer... State-of-the-art appliances, custom cabinetry. The interior has imported marble floors. That's right up to your liking. Mahogany doors, chandeliers, and onyx inlays. The entire property has a control floor system and offers state-of-the-art technology. There's a fabulous lower level with a movie theater, wine cellar, bar area, exercise room, spa, and more. The outdoor area are beyond compare, offering multi-level terraces, water features, gardens, and more. Okay. The five-level seawall, yes, the five-level seawall is one of a kind, and it, in the lakefront terrace features an all-glass atrium fashioned after a European train station. This is truly one of a kind lakefront. I figured you would really enjoy this. Now, Ted, I bring this up. This all could be yours for the list price of $6.5 million. Hmm. Give Ando, Adam Kaufman of Howard Hanna a call. This is the most expensive house available for sale in Cleveland, Ohio. All right. Well, I'm glad we're going for the top. I'll I'll, uh, I'll let me open my wallet and I should have that. uh, Well, I'll add right to it, too. So we could maybe afford, um, I don't know. What's one? What's less than 116? Uh, One. Don't even know. Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) So I figured... We kind of keep it a little bit local for this, you know, certainly something that you can yeah. you can really buy this. A $6.5 million. Give Andy Kaufman a Andy Kaufman a call from Howard Handa. You said Andy Kaufman. Can I call Tony Clifton or, or just Andy Kaufman? Just Andy Kaufman. Actually, his name is Adam Kaufman. Oh, so okay. I, just, I, mis- right. I misread it, of course. Oh, uh, that's all right. Okay. Right. $6.5 million, Ted. It's 15,000 square feet. Could be yours in Cleveland, okay. Ohio. You could really buy this. Not a dad joke. Ted, how do you fix a broken pumpkin? Hmm. 
I don't know. With the pumpkin patch. <laughs> that joke was horrible. Coming to the end of episode 74. Lots of Halloween themed things in our show here, Ken. But I want to know your thoughts, having worked with and gotten a reading from Media Mari. What'd you think of the do you think you were getting communication from your your deceased dog, Duffy? I really think there was something there. A lot yeah. of the different things that she had talked about certainly pertain to him. I mean, he had a very interesting personality. He did some kind of goofy things at times. I I was floored. There were times when she was talking about things and thinking, wow, I that really applies. And it's not like we had a conversation before this whole thing started. We just provided a picture and she kind of wins it all that. So I was extremely impressed. I do think there's something there. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, Medium Mari there, and we did have some other uh, uh, interesting Halloween-themed things. Now, uh, I know there have been times when you and I have uh, – our liquid intake has been on the uh, high side. Have you yes. ever uh, joined your own search party? <laughs> I don't know. I was going to ask you if you wanted to do that this weekend. <laughs> I think that might be the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I now have a good answer if I ever win the Powerball for what, I'll, <laughs> what I'm going to buy. Well, next week on the show, you know, we're not quite to Halloween by the time uh, the next show rolls around. So we've got time for another uh, little Halloween bit of conversation. So we're going to have Mark Schwab on, sports reporter Mark Schwab. And you say, well, Ted, he, that doesn't have anything to do with with Halloween. I mean, he's going to scare us with calf stories. Is that what he's going to do? <laughs> well, he may, but he has a very interesting story about uh, when he used to be the Indians beat reporter. He stayed at a house in uh, the uh, Kissimmee, Florida area that I believe he says was haunted. Really? So we're going to get that story firsthand from him. I believe he's been on the Art Bell show and some other things talking about this. So now he's going to hit the big time and talk to us about it. That's interesting. I, I had no idea. Obviously, we, we've known Mark for a long time. I've never yeah. heard this story. I'm interested to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that'll be our show next week, along with uh, who knows what else. So we'll just have to wait and see. It'll be a full hodgepodge, as always. You keep looking at me. Am I supposed to be doing something now? I guess I could do something. Well, I always like to tell the audience at the end of the show, just giving them a quick reminder. We're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place and by Westminster AV custom audio visual packages for all occasions. You keep looking at me. Am I supposed to be doing something now?